You've seen the movies. But you haven't read the comics? What? You think the comics are inaccessible? That's Steve Vinson. That's Paul Schultz. And we've got issues. Today's episode, Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Numbers 1 to 4 from February to June 1986. And this is, it's, I mean, it's really, it's one of those comics that you do need to listen. I don't want to, if you're the kind of person that doesn't mind jumping into the middle of a story, (laughs) by all means, keep listening. (laughs) But uh, tonight's episode is part of a series. And if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, you might want to go back and check out a few of the you know previous episodes <laughs> to kind of get you into to where we are today. Because if you if you didn't listen to the episode about Batman one you know Batman two thirty two from nineteen seventy one or you know <laughs> Spider Man or X Men or whatever, you might feel kind of lost uh, <laughs> tonight. Because this one jumps right in the middle of the whole, you know, superheroes, question mark, <laughs> mm. or, you know, vigilante, or is he saving the world, or is he saving himself? <laughs> anyway, so, you know, forget Adam West, 1970s cartoons, you and me growing up, mm. watching Adam West and Burt Ward, you know, mm. as Batman and Robin, forget all that. 1966, but yeah. Yeah, still. We watched them in syndication. That's how bad TV was when we were kids. We were watching <laughs> 1960s TV. Well, this seems new. <laughs> so Batman is an old man. He's an old man of 55. <laughs> so he's like a modern day young boomer. <laughs> <clears throat> but he would have been considered the greatest generation or an old boomer in this hmm. story. Comes out of retirement with all the expected aches and pains and creaks and yeah you know how hard it is for like us to get out of bed in the morning oh yeah (laughs) it just reminded me of like some of those old clint eastwood movies where like not westerns but like modern contemporary movies where he's like trying to get out of bed he's just in pain you know (laughs) and uh you know around gotham which is batman city you Mm -hmm. know all these Mutants, which I'm not clear, and I'm sure there's probably a backstory about these mutants in some other uh, series. But these mutants, who are like a bunch of kids, are like teenagers, right, mm-hmm. and younger, start to rise up in Gotham and cause all kinds of trouble. Mm-hmm. And Batman, like, like right as he's coming out of retirement, he has to deal with these mutants that are like <laughs> wreaking havoc all over the city. Mm-hmm. So this uh, psychiatrist who does not look all that dissimilar from Sidney Freeman from MASH. Let's put it this way. He's not a protagonist in this particular novel. Right. He actually likes the Joker and actually is like the Joker's psychiatrist. I think in an alternate universe, maybe he could be like uh, Harley Quinn because the Joker like <laughs> ends up like convincing him that the Joker is an okay guy and deserves to be let out of jail. Right. Right. But he hates Batman. He's like, he's a vigilante. He's a terrible person. We should, you know, no way he should be allowed to be going around doing what he's doing. But Batman does through, you know, various tricks of acrobatics and gadgets and armament defeats the <laughs> Oh, the <leader>. armament. <laughs> so he takes on the mutants, defeats their leader. All these kids end up in jail. 
They try to put him, they try to send him to the state prison, but the state prison doesn't want him. <laughs> Federal prison doesn't want him. So Gotham City Jail ends up having all these like superhero, like supervillain mutants. And like, that's going to work. <laughs> so Commissioner Gordon, Jim Gordon, you know, the guy with the bat signal and everything. <laughs> he's about to retire. Mm-hmm. And the mayor picks as his replacement an up and coming government bureaucrat slash cop who hates Batman. She's very anti-Batman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she's going to take over as the commissioner. So after the these guys are defeated and, you know, Batman is like seen as a an evil guy. This group called the Sons of Batman like starts to rise up and starts to fight crime, let's say, <laughs> in Gotham. <laughs> in their own unique way. <laughs> it's like a bunch of dirty Harrys running around. Yes. Right? They play they play by their own rules. Mm-hmm. Right. Only like if Dirty Harry, instead of being a rated R movie, like if Dirty Harry was a rated triple X movie, right. not because of the sex, but because of the gore. Right. <laughs> that would be like the Sons of Batman, right? Mm. But in the background, the president, who looks an awful lot like Ronald Reagan. Well, I don't know about awful lot. I mean, this was 86. Um, he kind of was the president at that point. So while this is all going on, there's some island in South America, some fictional island. I didn't look it up to see if it was a real island, but I've never heard of it. So Cor- like Corto Maltese or something like that, I think. Right. Like it's got half Spanish, half Italian. Yeah, it's supposed to be Cuba, I think, is the idea. So it's this island that apparently becomes a hot spot. U.S. and the United States and Soviet Union are fighting over it. And it like escalates to the point where the Soviets are sending battleships, battleships and air, aircraft carriers and are threatening a nuclear strike. And the U.S. is like threatening the nuclear strike and everything. So they send Superman. But apparently they can't publicly say that they've sent Superman right. because some kind of deal was struck. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. government said you can continue to be Superman but you can't go public. Right. You can't continue to be publicly Superman. You have to be Superman behind the scenes. You're like... Secret agent Superman. It started reminding me of uh, a, a novel we're going to be doing in a couple <laughs> weeks. Yes, which came out simultaneously. Like how the U.S. government was like, oh, we have this godlike person <laughs> who happens to be on our side. <laughs> and we get to use him however we want. Which... However we want turns out to be fighting our enemies in a warlike manner. So there's a nuclear crisis. At the same time, Batman goes and somehow visits Superman and they're talking about like state of affairs and Superman's like, you're being an idiot. Should have stayed in retirement. No way the government's going to let you keep fighting crime. The only way you could do it is if you gave up your autonomy and independence like I did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Bruce Wayne's like, uh, no thanks. Right? <laughs> so Superman's like, well, but I mean, ultimately, if they decide that you're a criminal and they ask me to bring you in and put you in prison, you know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to fight you. Mm-hmm. And Batman's like, bring it on. <laughs> okay, so get into the second half. And I'm not even going to describe all the events of the second half because it's very cinematic. Yeah. At some point, the Russians, you know, they do launch a nuclear missile, Mm -hmm. but it's not a normal nuclear missile. It's a 
the warhead actually is just this gigantic EMP mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing, uh, electromagnetic pulse, which basically disables all electronics everywhere. Um, so it plunges the U.S. and probably the rest of the world into like chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Which, through nobody's surprise, <laughs> causes the mutants from the jail to be released. <laughs> And Batman decides that he's going to round up the sons of Batman, the vigilante group, and the mutants, and convince them that what needs to happen is they need to be like the police force. Because the police basically give up. Except for Commissioner Gordon, who starts spearheading, like fighting fires (laughs) and saving people and stuff. But Batman and and the vigilantes all... Like, get control of Gotham. And every city in America is in complete chaos. It's total mayhem, except Gotham, which is under control because of what Batman did. Also turns out that there's this Gen Zer, although Gen Z hadn't been born yet. So I guess it would have been more like, uh, let's see, 1986. She was a teenager. Uh, A little bit younger than you and I. Yeah. Turns out to be the boy wonder, (laughs) or in this case, the girl wonder. So there's this girl who adores Batman mm-hmm. and trains and decides to help Batman and become and wear a Robin costume and become Batman's sidekick. And it's a girl, and I think for 1986, I think that's pretty advanced and pretty progressive. Yeah, it was. And they didn't do a lot in the book to downplay it. In the book, it was just like, well, of course, you know, just <laughs> this person. Who happens to be a girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were a few comments like, he looks so young. Mm. So the Joker ends up, psychiatrist, like, gets Joker out of prison, takes him on the David Letterman show. <laughs> Joker ends up killing David Letterman and the entire audience. <laughs> and then he goes to the, like, the local fair and kills a bunch of kids and a bunch of other innocent people. Batman and Robin end up killing the Joker. And then that's when the EMP happens. And then mayhem strikes so, just a couple of things. I tried to summarize the plot. I, I realized I didn't do as good of a job as I've done on the previous books. And I'll just be honest. It's because I had trouble following. Like, this This one was not linear. No. Like, a lot of a lot of the books that we've done so far are pretty linear, right? It's mm-hmm. like, start here. They're trying to get there. Yeah. I'm sure I left a lot of stuff out because it just kind of weaved in and out. And, like, mm-hmm. it's like one of those books that, and I say this with all admiration for the book. Mm-hmm. It's like, I need to be a little bit smarter. Or I need to read it another two or three times Mm -hmm. to, like, get it, you know? Mm -hmm. But, you know, ultimately, I think it's another tale, you know, which fits with the thread of what we've been going through here, which is, like, it is another iteration and another level of superheroes aren't just simply the good guys versus the bad guys. Right. It's humans trying to find their way through the world. Mm -hmm. And Batman's no different. He's a human. With all the baggage that comes with that. Mm-hmm. With that, why did why did you pick this one? <laughs> well, the reason why I picked this one is basically because, like episode three, I think it was, where we talked about the, the Batman episode, was unless you've lived, you know, under a rock your entire life, everyone knows who Batman is. But but most people that don't read comics will would would normally associate Batman with like the old Adam West TV show if not for the Christopher Nolan, Christian Bale movies. 
which if you're a fan of those movies you would like these stories because they're both on like that level of like you know maturity and hyper realism and things like that in, in our first batman episode you know it was very 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 comic booky whereas this one and I, I mean that term lovingly but a lot of people would consider it derogatory but you get two or three pages into this and you're like um this is not my dad's batman what's going on here and i just think that the level of storytelling would appeal to most non-comic book readers i think maybe the problem you were having with it was you'd read so like you said you'd read so many linear straight out comic book stories with you know underlying subtext and this is just a completely different animal through this entire series we've been covering what has been known as the bronze age of comics which the silver age of course ended with the, the death of Gwen Stacy and this book which by the way isn't normal mainstream Batman this is what this was kind of like an alternate reality tale and I'll get to that in just a minute this series and the Watchmen but particularly this series this series pretty much signified the end of the Bronze Age and the beginning of what got what came to be known as the the Dark Age they started out mature and then they just kind of got dark and dark became mature and the books that followed after this would maybe a little more to most moviegoers, you know, liking. The thing people don't realize about this book is, it, like I said, it wasn't just a Batman story. This was like a alternate reality cautionary tale of like a worst case scenario for Batman. Unfortunately, what it did was it was so popular that the, edi the, the editors of DC Comics basically decided they were going to make it the mainstream. So they changed so much about the Batman mythology when they were... Because this was at a point, 85 and 86, DC was relaunching all of their books to be more modern. And so when the Batman stuff got relaunched and was more modern, modern it was very much like this storyline in fact it was written by the same guy frank miller wrote and drew this he's also the penciler and co-writer of the wolverine series that we did a couple episodes back anyway so miller goes on to write and spearhead the way batman is forever changed in the comics okay you might be like a casual reader chances are you you've only read stuff in the past 10 years and dark knight returns would give you a point that you could read and go, oh, this is where it all comes from. It's funny, too, you you mentioned Dirty Harry a little while ago. This was actually influenced by uh, uh, Miller had seen Sudden Impact. And w w when Dirty uh -huh. Harry is all old, and he thought, well, what if Batman was old? And what kills me is, at that time, I think Miller was in his late 20s, maybe early 30s. And for some reason, he thought 55 was decrepit. <laughs> So you're reading Batman, he's all, uh, uh, but he's really <laughs> only 55 years old, but he's just seen and done a few more things than the average 55-year-old. A few things jump out at me. Mm -hmm. One is, just to continue with that thought mm -hmm. about Dirty Harry, it occurs to me, like, we forget how freaked out everybody was in the 80s by crime, mm -hmm. right? And whether... Whether it was for real or whether it was, you know, politicians trying to scare us. Yeah. So we would vote for them. Who cares whether it was real or not? If you're old enough to remember the 80s, 
I don't know how many of our listeners are old enough to remember the eighties, but <laughs> there was a whole, like the, 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 the whole shit house is going up in flames, right? Mm-hmm. You can't walk down the street without getting cut or shot. You can't understate how afraid everybody was of crime and disorder yep. in the, in American cities. And this sort of captures that feeling, right? Like, you know, the cops aren't keeping us safe. Mm-hmm. So who's going to keep us safe, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why, like movies like Dirty Harry <laughs> and Sudden Impact or whatever, mm-hmm. it's like one of the things we would, you know, be, that became part of popular culture was one of the things that's keep that's making us less safe is the cops have their hands tied, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's getting rights. Everybody needs their rights. Miranda rights, and the cops can't do their job. Because, you know, there are too many rules, right? Too many lawyers. Two things, like, happen simultaneously. One is the feeling that crime was on the rise. And that things were becoming more dangerous. Uh-huh. At the same time, rules were being put in place to keep the cops from perpetuating violence on the citizenry. Uh-huh. And those two things led you to believe, like, so who's going to say this? Yeah. So a movie like Dirty Harry comes along, and there's this whole trope of he he, he fights by his own rules, right? Yep. And Dirty Harry was this guy, like, clearly violated every constitutional right of every <laughs> suspect. But we mm-hmm. didn't care because we assumed every suspect was guilty and that Dirty mm-hmm. Harry knew it. Like, Judge Dredd. It's the same thing. It's like I'm the judge, the jury, and the executioner, right? I don't mm-hmm. I don't have to play by the rules. I am the rules. Right? And mm-hmm. we all loved it. Because we're like, yep. that's what'll keep us safe. Take the take the uh let the cops be cops. They know who's guilty and who's not guilty. Let them do their job. And like this novel, this Batman novel has that feel. Mm-hmm. It's like none of the new guys, none of these young, clean cut, Superman's not going to keep us safe. He's just going to do what the government wants. And it's just stupid old guy who's the president telling Superman what to do. Mm-hmm. He's not going to keep us safe. He's just going to do what's ever in the best interest of the corporate bigwigs, right? Who don't, who don't give a shit about us and our little problems. Batman's the guy that cares about us and our little problems. He's the guy that'll keep us safe because he doesn't have to play by the rules. He's right. not going to play by the rules. Commissioner Gordon, you know, is retiring. We need Commissioner Gordon in place, you know, because he'll let Batman do what Batman needs to do, right? Mm-hmm. If you throw in the general public's uh, opinion of like punk rockers, you've got the mutants because everyone. Uh, anyone like 25, 30 years and older were scared of punk rockers for some reason. And then throw in a healthy dose of the potential of nuclear annihilation at any minute. Yeah. Even though it was written at the time, this is exactly how we felt the world yeah. was at this yeah. point. Yeah. Like you, like you said earlier, this is, this is what we had to deal with kids. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it even comes down to ultimately it's like there, somebody will save us. Yes. In the end, somebody will save us. And then it's it's Superman who does what he thinks is the right thing, and it still doesn't save us. <laughs> it ain't going to be Rorschach. <laughs> it still takes the old dude mm-hmm. who's from a different time, 
who plays by different rules, who will come and save us. Yeah. He may not save us in the way we think we need to be saved. He'll save us in the way he thinks we need to be saved. That was one thought. The other thought I had was, which which opened my eyes, and this is the like part of the whole point of why we're doing this series. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're the casual Batman fan, like the, you know, Burt Ward, Adam West, mm-hmm. all that stuff, and you go, like any modern thing that happens, like Superman fighting Batman, what? Yeah. You know, a girl getting to be that character, what? Why don't they just stay true to the comic book? And you read this and you go, oh, I guess they are staying true right. to the comic book. Because ultimately, Superman has to fight Batman, right? Because mm-hmm. Superman's on the side of good and obeying what the government says to do. Batman's on the side of everyday man, mm-hmm. everyday common man. Even though he's imperfect, it's imperfect justice. That was my other thought. It's like anything that you see in the movies, like, and you go, oh, why do they have to do that? You know, why do they have to change everything? You go, oh, wait, I bet there's a moment in the comic book universe where that actually happened, <laughs> you know? Quite by accident. But yeah, yeah. And I mean, the the 80s was was really a, whether, whether you loved it or hated it, personally, I liked it because I never, I never found the DC universe relatable or appealing as the marvel books there was a certain level of realism even though they were both both companies had guys running around in costumes doing crazy things and fighting bad guys there was just something a little more realistic for me as a kid to the the marvel books and then when dc started relaunching everything and making it more grounded in reality if you will turning them into marvel books more you know more accurately Mm -hmm. i guess that's when they started to appeal to me. But it can't it can't be stressed enough that part of the change for Batman, good or bad, was because of this book. If you don't like Batman or you don't like DC, maybe this is a good book for you to get into. From one of the most recognized superheroes of all time to the most recognized superhero of all time. And that's objectively provable <laughs> with data and science. Well, as we said earlier... I'm, in earlier episodes, he is one of the most, if not the most, identifiable fictional character in the world. Next time, it's the amazing. It's the spectacular. It's the web of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you did there. <laughs> You've been listening to We've Got Issues. We've Got Issues is written and produced by Paul Schultz and Steve Vinson. Copyright Big Broccoli Studios. Music by Eric Fulmer. For more by Big Broccoli Studios, go to www.bigbroccolistudios.com. <laughs>